1: Good morning, everybody. Lots going on this week in baseball news. You have uh, MLB hiring Ken Griffey Jr. to work in the commissioner's office. MLBPA naming three former players as VPs, adding that in. some uh, All sorts of bits of news, and then we get a potential blockbuster overnight to discuss. I'm Matt Spiegel, and good morning, Bruce Levine.
3: Good morning, Matt. Yeah, it is a very busy week. I expect another tremendously busy week as we move up toward the beginning of spring training somewhere around February 17th. It's scheduled for right now. Nothing blocking it other than a pandemic out there. But (laughs) nonetheless, uh, that's the expected time. And uh, the Cubs have been active. The White Sox will be active again on a minor level next week. So Let's uh, begin with the blockbuster that may be done probably Sunday or Monday, and that is the uh, Nolan Arenado going from the Colorado Rockies to the St. Louis Cardinals for four young players in a deal Hmm. that is uh, laden with just a tremendous amount of uh, impact on the National League Central, on the National League, on baseball itself.
1: Yeah, there's lots of complexities there. By the way, guests on the show, we're going to talk to our colleague David Haw at 1030 in the next hour. But coming up later this hour, White Sox outfielder Adam Engel will be on the show at 940. And Jerry Hairston Jr., the uh, uh, color analyst for the Dodgers uh, out there in Los Angeles, he will talk about Jock Peterson with us at, at, at right about 915. So keep it here. We'll get everything covered on both sides of town. The Arenado trade, if it happens, Bruce, as you mentioned, super complicated. uh, Let me see if I have it right. It needs MLBPA approval. That's the Players Association. Needs MLB approval because he's waiving a no-trade clause. Then the Cardinals are going to give the no-trade clause back to him. There is deferred money on the existing deal. There's an extra year being added on by the Cardinals at 15 mil. And, oh, by the way, $50 million moving from the Rockies to the Cardinals in this deal. It's incredibly complicated, and that's why it won't be uh, agreed upon until you think either tomorrow or maybe even Monday.
3: No, that's right, Matt. So, Arenado basically goes to the Cardinals for six years at $150 million, which is a bargain by the, today's standards for a superstar third baseman. Uh, The original deal that Arenado signed was an eight-year, $260 million deal with Colorado two years ago this month. So what Colorado gets back is the four players and saving $150 million over Mm -hmm. the next six years. Uh, Players include a left-handed pitcher named Austin Gombers, uh, three minor leaguers of potential, but not necessarily superstardom. So This is uh, something, as you mentioned, Matt, where uh, the Players Association must come in and uh, make sure that the uh, content of the contract is not changed by the deferments. Mm -hmm. They're also talking about deferring money. Uh, So the real hard dollars of the contract cannot be changed without the approval of the Players Association. And the MLB, uh, MLB has to approve. Any money is exchanged, you know, beyond a certain amount of millions. And this one is $50 million uh, that Colorado will send to the St. Louis Cardinals as part of this deal to Mm -hmm. make it uh, palpable for for both teams. So there's a tremendous amount of stuff going on here. It's going to take days to figure out here. But nonetheless, the balance of power in the National League Central... Has certainly changed when, if, if and when this deal goes through.
1: All right, one more tiny bit of math maintenance. If it is six years at 150 or at 149, um, at, as I as I'd read, pick, but pick, pick, pick. Okay, <laughs> six, What's six. A million here and there? Well, because here, I'm going to add in the one year at 15 in his age 36 season, yep. that is going to be there. So essentially, the Cardinals are going to end up with seven years. At one sixty four for Nolan Arenado, yeah, I, at twenty three point uh, four million dollars per year, and that's what will count as is the average annual value against the possible CBT and our salary cap. If we ever get there, that's a bargain, it, right, Bruce? It, it could, uh, assuming that Arenado does anything close to what he's done, that's a really good deal for the Cardinals. Man, the yeah, Rockies. I, go ahead. I don't
3: know at thirty six if you're going to consider it a bargain.
1: You yeah, know. Man, we'll, you know, may, we'll maybe see. not at thirty six, um, yeah. but but. And bargain is too strong, but it's certainly, it's certainly manageable when you were thinking about okay. Nolan Arenado.
3: For a superstar player, $25 million a year is a very good price. Yes. Okay. If you consider uh, that George Springer just signed a contract for that uh, exact amount, six years and $150 million uh, with um, Toronto, mm-hmm. um, and you compare the, the two players, now Springer's a great player, but Arenado is one of the top, you know, I don't know about last year he played with an injured shoulder, but he's one of the top six or seven players in baseball uh, all the way around. Yeah. Uh, eight-time Gold Glover, uh, averages 30 to 35 home runs, 100 RBIs a year. So uh, from, from all of that, it appears to be a bargain for the Cardinals.
1: Yeah, the Rockies had terrible leverage, and we can talk about why later on. Uh, the willingness to spend is now a market inefficiency. I guess it's the original market inefficiency. Um, but but y- you described the player, Bruce, and you're right. This is what the Cardinals uh, appear to be getting: um, the the best defensive third baseman, or maybe second best to Matt Chapman in all of baseball. A dominant hitter when healthy. Yes, he's notoriously worse away from Coors Field. And, and, and St. Louis is not a very home run friendly park, very non-homer friendly park. So that's a big change. But he's also been pitched very differently at cores and away from cores. That'll even out about now. And all of a sudden, the Cardinals with Goldschmidt at one corner and Arenado at the other. And they re-signed Wainwright. Looks like they're going to re-sign Yadier Molina. They're, they appear to be far and away the best team in, in, uh, in the division at this point. Yeah, Would you and, agree?
3: And Matt, yeah, yeah, I do. And uh, you know, consider that the the National League Central ballparks are uh, home run happy ballparks, mm-hmm. especially. I mean, yeah, Coors is the best field to hit in by a home player. But uh, you know, you look at the cavernous uh, ballparks in the National League West. Uh, beyond that, and you realize that Arenado uh, should do much better on the road uh, during uh, his time in the National League Central than he's done in the past. Uh, in the uh, National League West. So from all of that, uh, you know, if he's healthy, and again, it was the left shoulder that bothered him last year and it impacted his season, not the right or the throwing uh, arm. Uh, This should be, you know, the player that puts St. Louis firmly at the top of the division if they weren't already there because of a lack of offense. This was a team, St. Louis, that only hit 51 home runs last year, last in baseball. So if it wasn't Goldschmidt, it wasn't anybody. Uh, now you have Arenado to join him, uh, a young uh, team around them, pretty much, uh, and a uh, pitching staff that's considered the best in the in the division, if not one of the best in the National League. All, all that together, you know, you have a real push for being the best team in the National League Central in 2021.
1: Yeah, it, 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 I, I agree. I agree. And and now they're. They're set up to maybe do just a little bit more and get them complete. Maybe, I mean, do they re-engage with Colton Wong now that they're in go-for-it mode? We'll we'll see. Um, Lots more to talk about with this trade, and we will. We're going to talk about uh, the White Sox offseason with Adam Engel um, and a lot more coming up on Inside the Clubhouse. But we're going to take a quick break a little early here so we can come back and talk to Jerry Harrison Jr. about Jock Peterson. Keep it right here on 670 The Score. It's Inside the Clubhouse.
0: That is well hit into left center field, back at the wall, it is 3-0 Dodgers, Peterson with a blast.
1: That's Joe Buck and Fox TV with the call. Jock Peterson is now a Chicago Cub. And Jock Peterson, having had a really bad 2020, was then great Bruce Levine in the postseason, as he has been for a long time. They've called it Jocktober out there. Um, and in the postseason in 2020, he, was, he hit 382 with a 991 OPS in 16 games at a big homer in Game 5 of the World Series. That was that one. It's, uh, he's a very good postseason player, is he not, Bruce? He
3: is, uh, and many of the Dodgers uh, joined him having a good postseason, but uh, he brings that to the Chicago Cubs. If and when they finalize this, has not been officially announced. Uh, we are hearing it's a $7 million deal. There may be an option year uh, in the contract as well, uh, waiting for the official uh, signing of him uh, announced by the Chicago Cubs sometime this uh, offseason. But a, a, an improvement defensively and speed-wise for sure over Kyle Schwarber. The rest will be determined in 2021.
1: Well, let's talk about Jock Peterson, the player, and what exactly the Cubs are getting with our next guest who joins us on the Alpamonte Nissan Hotline. Alpamante Nissan in Melrose Park is on North Avenue, or you can find them online at apnissan.com. Naperville
3: native, former big league ball player for many teams, and uh, our friend who does the pre and post game for Dodger baseball in Los Angeles, Jerry Harrison Jr., joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Jerry, thanks for taking some time out today. We don't want to mess up your golf game, so we'll we'll only hold you for about ten minutes and uh, talk to you about Jack Peterson. How are you today?
4: I'm doing well, guys. How you guys doing?
3: We're We're doing great, Jerry. Jerry, uh, What what type of individual first before we analyze uh, Jack Peterson and his skills? What type of uh, individual are the uh, Chicago Cubs getting in Jack Peterson?
4: Well, you guys are getting a uh, tremendous uh, guy, a a really good clubhouse guy, a a guy that loves to play in October. He loves the bright lights. Uh, You know, we have a nickname for him in L.A. We call him Jocktober because he he always seems to get the big hit, the big home run in clutch situations. Uh, He's a really good defender, uh, especially in left field. He's got a really good arm. It's accurate. Uh, He can run a little bit. He stole a lot of bases in the minor leagues, but now the way the game has gone, uh, the last five, there's a lot of base stealing, uh, so he doesn't do much of that, but he's got tremendous power to all fields, especially when the uh, the weather gets warm in, in the National League Central. I think he's going to hit a lot of home runs, especially at Wrigley Field. Uh, Pittsburgh is going to be a great place for him, Milwaukee and Cincinnati. So you guys are getting a good guy who could, who could swing the bat.
1: You know, I, I, it's interesting, Jerry, because like so many of those young Dodgers, he came up much heralded five-tool guy, superstar potential, and then ended up getting utilized in a very specific way. Um, Faced lefties very, very rarely. um, Played sporadically because there were so many good pieces. So... It, it has, I, don't know, I don't think he's ever had a chance to really play every day and fully blossom and show the full capacity of what he could be, but I also don't know if he can develop more than what he is and be that full player. Do you have a, do you have a sense for that in the long term for him?
4: Well, I, I always look at guys, You know, whether it's Jock Peterson, Kike Hernandez, guys that are starting to enter the prime, these guys can get better. Now, you mentioned the left-handed pitching. Has he struggled against left-handed pitching in the past? Yes, he has. But with him, do you give him that opportunity to face lefties? You never know. He could develop it in that everyday type of a player facing left-handed pitching. He crushes right-handed pitching, by the way. Yes. Especially in the leadoff spot. If you're looking for a guy with pop leading off, uh, he holds a Dodger record for most home runs as a leadoff hitter. Uh, he'll jump on a fastball, turn it around. Uh, so if you're looking for a guy who can lead off, especially gets right-handed pitching, Jock is your guy. Uh, he'll he'll walk. He'll get on base. Uh, but a guy like, you know, I mentioned maybe a Justin Turner who later on his career developed into that everyday player. Jock Peterson could be that guy. Uh, but once again, you're getting a guy who's athletic. He's got tremendous power. Uh, and I really believe the Cubs fans are going to love him.
3: Jerry Harrison, Jr., joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. He does pre- and post-game work for the Dodger Television Network and just an all-around good guy with many, many, many connections around the game of baseball, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Jerry, um, he hasn't played much center field over the last three years. Uh, We know Bellinger's been there uh, a lot. But do you feel that his skills uh, are such that he could go back to center field and do uh, at least an average to a little bit above average job in center, or is he a corner outfielder at this point?
4: Well, I think he's a really good left fielder, and I think he could be an above average center fielder at Wrigley Field. The reason why I say that is because, as you guys know, Wrigley Field doesn't have huge gaps, right? You don't have a whole lot of ground to cover. Uh, And there are ballparks like Milwaukee is not necessarily huge, uh, Cincinnati's not necessarily huge as well. So uh, I think he can be an average to above-average center fielder, especially with Jason Hayward in right field. You guys know Jason can cover a lot of ground in right field. So if you have Jason in the right, you can play a Jock Peterson in center field in that division. But if you were to ask me what is his best position right now, I would say left field.
1: So, yeah, le- left field, but, but maybe but... – some utility in right. Tell me about the first base experiment because I see, oh, he played games at first base. That could be worthwhile. And then I read something out of L.A. that said that was a disaster. So, you know, you never know if you actually don't get a chance
4: to watch somebody play. Well, I wouldn't say it was a disaster. You know, when you yeah. have a guy like Cody Bellinger at first base, who's a gold glove caliber first baseman, uh, Max Muncy has played there. We Kiki Arnanners, he, you know, was a super utility guy. He could play there. You had three guys who could really do it over there at first base. You didn't really want to throw Jock Peterson there. So mm. I would say in a pinch, you can play Jock Peterson at first base. Uh, but you, got, you guys got a pretty good first baseman there in Chicago. I wouldn't mess with him.
1: <laughs>
3: Jerry, when you when you look at Peterson, do you think, uh, I mean, you know, you talked about a leadoff uh, guy. And uh, the first guy that comes to my mind like this player was when uh, – in the middle of 1970s, Rick Monday was the Chicago Cubs leadoff man with power and a guy that uh, flourished in that spot before being traded to the Dodgers. Um, when you when you look at him, do you think he's a leadoff man or is he better uh, in the middle of the pack, uh, driving in
4: runs down in the lineup? That is a great cop with pretty Ricky Rick Monday. Jock doesn't have the hair like Rick Monday has. But he definitely has the power. Definitely has the power uh, like Rick Monday. So I would have Jock Peterson lead off, if I was manager Dave Ross, against right-handed pitching because he could ambush these right-handed batters and you can be on the board one nothing. But after that, I would probably like to have Jock Peterson hit fifth or sixth in that realm because he's a guy who could drive in runs. Uh, but if you're looking to kind of set the table – uh, second, third, fourth, I wouldn't have, you know, Jock Peterson in, in that role. Either lead him off or have him hit fifth or
1: sixth. Uh, Jerry, you think the Dodgers are, are, are done making big moves? It, I' pretty darn good team. Seems good. Padres also seem good. But then every time I read about Trevor Bauer or some other big-name guy, is like, don't rule out the Dodgers from getting in there. Uh, I can't tell whether they're done or not.
4: You know, I'd never count the Dodgers, especially with uh, their ability to to trade some of their young prospects to get uh, elite players or get guys via free agency. You know, they've been really quiet this off season. And, and if I'm an opposing team, they've been scary quiet. You know, I think they're looking at the entire landscape. You know, Bauer's still out there. Justin Turner is yet to sign. We know everybody wants Justin Turner back in L.A. So I don't think the Dodgers are done. They're always looking to make sure that they uh, put the best field possible uh, for their fans.
3: Jerry, in closing with you, uh Matt and I we really appreciate you joining us and in inside the clubhouse today and uh, we hope you shoot a, a sixty eight or sixty nine today for sure but um uh, nonetheless <laughs> when you um when you look at the Justin Turner situation, do you think uh the more time that elapses, the less chance he goes back to the Dodgers? How do you analyze that
4: well I, I think the more time it, it, it kind of Comes along for Justin Turner, I think, it kind of benefits JT because, as you saw, Nolan Arenado uh, just got traded. So he's he's not a possibility anymore via trade. D.J. LeMahieu was a possibility. Now he's back with the Yankees, so Justin Turner is sitting pretty well. Uh, You know, as far as, hey, I'm the only elite third baseman out there left uh, to sign. So I think the more time goes by, I think it benefits Justin Turner. I think he wants to come back to the Dodgers. I know the Dodgers want him back. And hopefully this deal gets done.
3: Jerry, we appreciate it very much. Uh, say hi to everybody out there, all our friends in Arizona. I know you travel between there and L.A. quite a bit. Um, and enjoy the day. And thanks for joining us on Inside the Clubhouse today, Jerry.
4: Anytime, guys. I got to go beat Glendon Rush on the golf course right now.
3: Um, say hi to him. Say hi yes. to Glendon. He's one of our favorites.
1: You you can you can take I him, will. but he'll he'll make you laugh more than almost anybody. <laughs> so enjoy. <laughs>
4: Absolutely. He
3: does. He does. Thanks. Thanks a bunch. Take care, Jerry.
1: That's awesome. Former Cubs. Jerry Harrison Jr.
3: joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, it's good to have uh, someone who's seen him play all of his games, uh, break it down for us.
1: Uh, Yes. And and I would like to personally, Bruce, wish a belated congratulations to Jock Peterson, on being inducted into the Jewish Sports Hall of Fame of Northern California in November of 2019, um, I don't know how active he is or observant he is is the proper word, but it's just I I, I hadn't realized I hadn't realized that uh, that a member of the tribe was coming to be part of the Cubs.
3: Well, we know it's Saturday, and I called him; he did not pick up the phone, so <laughs> that might so, give you some indication.
1: That's an indication. Well. Uh, it, it, so look, we're going to talk to Adam Engel in a little bit uh, about the White Sox offseason, but let's get to the White Sox angle regarding, um, Peterson, because it was reported yesterday, Bruce, that Jock was offered a deal by the White Sox that was out there in the LA times. What, what do you know about that before they went to Adam Engel or excuse me, Adam Eaton it it was it it seems that they went after Jock Peterson. Does that jibe with uh, what you've known about the White yeah, Sox? Yeah, there were off-season?
3: conversations. I I think the ten million dollar report might be erroneous, but uh, there were there were conversations. And if we remember back to the last two off seasons, the White Sox were connected with Peterson both years as far as bringing him in in a trade. And at one point, I remember someone actually reporting that the deal was done and that Peterson was a White Sox player, but. Nonetheless, that didn't work out. Uh, Sure, I mean, look, adding a left-handed power back uh, to the White Sox was something they wanted to do. Um, They eventually settled for Adam Eaton, uh, which isn't a power bat. It's more of a left-handed bat that uh, can do a a number of different things for you in right field. But uh, nonetheless, uh, there were conversations. That's confirmed. Uh, The amount of money offered, uh, that was – Reported to be off just a bit
1: mm. i like um i, I got to say, I actually like the bat of Adam Eaton, the style of adam Eaton I, if he is himself he is if he is like the best version of himself, I like that fit better than I like the fit of Jock Peterson offensively for the white sox that's just my opinion
3: right, and defensively he gives you some uh some options as well if Robert is not playing one day, if there's an injury to Robert. He brings the experience of a uh, center fielder that's played there and played there well for many years. So he gives you uh, that type of flexibility. And, of course, our uh, our our next guest coming up is going to probably be in somewhat of a platoon with Adam Eaton. That's Adam angle, And we'll be uh, messing up those two names all year long when we talk <laughs> about angle and Eaton.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, David Hall is going to join us at 1030. I think he's been calling him the Adams family there in, in right field. <laughs> Which, uh, which, which makes a lot of sense. But, yeah, no, angle is a terrific defensive center fielder um, as well. And I, I keep wondering whether Eloy Jimenez, if I set the over-under on Eloy Jimenez starts at designated hitter for the White Sox this year, assuming they play 162, mm-hmm. if I set that number at 15 games at designated hitter for Eloy Jimenez, you like the over or the under, Bruce?
3: I like the over. I, I like Jimenez I like as, as the full-time D.H., and uh the reason being and we've talked about it on the show numerous times Matt is the reality of keeping him on the field if you go back to his entire minor league career there's been injuries where he tweaked, you know, something here or there shoulder, leg, uh hip, uh something every year there's been injuries that were just baseball related injuries of running into a wall or you know, just running too much. So what, what do you want out of Jimenez? What is he best at, okay? That is hitting, hitting for power, and being available 150 games out of the year. Mm-hmm. The best way to make that happen, even though he's only 23 or 24 years old, is to guarantee it by being a DH. There's nothing nothing says that you're not a full-time player if you're a DH and you're contributing like a big poppy would.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and then depending on the matchups, you could you could play Angle and Eaton at the same time if it made yeah. sense to when, when Eloy defense. is the DH. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, but you could also, you know, also they'll need to rotate that DH. Yasmani Grandal will get some time there. Um, Jose Abreu will get a little bit of time there every once in a while. And, you know, uh, do you think they're going to, to go the the... The free agent route for DH, not Nelson Cruz at the top end um, because we know they're not going to do that. But do you think that they'll go for a a low end DH option just as another bat to add to the mix? Um, I, you know, I think they would want to. Uh,
3: I don't think they have the the big enough dollars left in their payroll to go after that. I think they're going to spend what they have uh, left right now on a veteran starting Pitcher to bring in, maybe not the you know the guy that is top of the rotation left, but somebody with experience that they're probably going to bring in. Uh, left-hander would be ideal, you know, somebody you know uh, like a uh, Cole Hamels or Rich Hill, somebody of that ilk. I don't think it's going to be Hill from the people I talk to, but nonetheless, they they mm. they probably have had conversations with Hill and his representatives. But uh, basically they could use another left-hander in the rotation. I think that's where the residual dollars are going to go first. Uh, you know, you have, you have a, a righty-laden uh, lineup and you have a righty-laden uh, a rotation uh, except, you know, for um, Keuchel. Keuchel, that's it. So, um, you know, looking forward, you know, a lefty would fit in, but again, uh, the money has to uh, fit for them as well.
1: 6.70, the score is where you are. A few texts getting in at 312-644-6767. 67, 67. This one, Bruce, for me. Speaks, don't patronize White Sox fans. Jock Peterson would clearly be better on the south side. He means than Adam Eaton. Um, I, no, I'm not patronizing. If Eaton is his scrappy self hitting in the top of the lineup like he did for the World Series winning Washington Nationals, having two guys like him and Nick Madrigal at either one two eight or 9 in the lineup... Um, While everybody else is boppers and are more, you know, three true outcome guys other than Tim Anderson and and obviously Yohan Mankata, who can be an an all around hitter. I like that in the mix. I'm a fan of a mix in a lineup. We've been bemoaning how the Cubs don't have that mix in the lineup. So I'm not patronizing in the least with that opinion.
3: I I think I think that's well thought out, Matt, the idea that uh, you can score runs in many, many different ways. You can defend and uh, make sure the other team doesn't score runs with a player like Adam Eaton. So he brings a lot of value all the way around, still can run uh, better than average as well. So a stolen base here, a guy yep. that can score from first on a double. Uh, these, these things are essential uh, to team to be more diverse, and that's what you're pointing out. Sure, the White Sox could use more left-handed pop. Uh, you know, After Grandel, after Mancada from the left side, you do not have really anybody that's going to drive the ball out of the ballpark. But, you know, again, having a left-handed bat, a contact hitter like uh, Eaton, uh, that's essential. It's not, every guy is not supposed to hit a home run. Uh, Top of the order hitters, guys that can get on base and uh, do a few things on the bases and Mm -hmm. uh, disrupt the defense. That's just as important as your big bopper from the left side.
1: Yeah, top or bottom, top or bottom. You can have those guys, you know, the nine spot can be a secondary leadoff spot in that sense. Let's talk to a guy we've mentioned several times in the conversation, Adam Engel, the White Sox outfielder. He joins us next on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Oh, thank you, Adam Stadzinski, for playing the man in the box. Bruce Levine, if I ever get a chance to be a Major League Baseball closer, this is my music as I walk in from the bullpen. It's menacing, isn't it? You're you're afraid of me, aren't you, Bruce? You'll be afraid to swing at my fastball when I come walking into this one.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath too long on that one. Uh,
1: on my opportunity
2: to be uh, opportunity a closer?
3: Opportunity is, yeah, it's, it's probably i don't know the odds are not good they're, they're just not good you close well
1: on the radio i
3: will give you that
1: <laughs> i had a moment when i was 12 when i threw a sidearm a submarine like kent to and i thought for like 20 minutes you know what i might end up in the bigs i might be able to do this did you ever have a moment as a kid when you thought i'm gonna be a big league ball player
3: uh no you know i i didn't smoke anything funny at that age <laughs> and uh I never, I honestly, I never I never felt I was good enough to play. I, I always hoped I was good enough to, to make the the, the uh, high school baseball team, which I was, but not good enough to play every game. So you knew that your career was going to go elsewhere uh, when you were only a bench player on the high school baseball team. Oh, uh, yeah, so I suppose. So we, we, we moved on from there. How, how many people even have the nerve to talk about being a bench player on a high school baseball team. I love that. I love that you talk about that. But everybody's always pushed themselves. Yeah, I played high school ball. You know, know, and you think, oh, yeah, he hit three (laughs) fifty, hit 12 home runs, you Uh know, played first base. No, there were a a bunch of us that uh, just... Uh, were out there with the pom-poms uh, leading them
4: on to
1: victory. Yeah. The yeah, closest, I,
4: guys, the closest I ever got to being a major league closer was when I got a curveball to actually curve when I was 15 once. It was, oh, that's, it was outstanding. It's exciting. It's exciting.
1: Yeah. I, I, never, I never got a ball to curve. See, I thought I did when I was submarining. I saw the movement on it. It felt natural, but that's just because I was falling off to the right after throwing the ball. I'm like, oh, look at that. I got Quisenberry stuff right here. But uh, instead, yeah, uh, instead, like I
3: said, I was not smoking at that time, like <laughs> some of you guys.
1: Well, you know, uh, a, a boy's got to do what he's got to do to get through that hard scrabble, <laughs> hard scrabble suburban life um, that, uh, that 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 I was leading. A um, lot of textures getting in. Uh, Jim in Lockport, he takes the under on 15 DH starts for Eloy Jimenez because he thinks Andrew Vaughn's going to be up very quickly. And I and I you and I talked about this a little bit before the show. I'm a big fan of Andrew Vaughn. I think that dude has hit like an adult every step of his career and looked that way immediately. I know it's a very limited um, balance of of minor league uh, at bats so far because there was no minor league last year. But I I, I wouldn't be afraid to have him up on opening day. But maybe that's a little aggressive for me. What do you think, Bruce?
3: Uh, Well, you know, they they think highly of him. Obviously, number one pick just a few years ago. Somebody that uh look good uh in their remote uh place, you know, last year when they had their secondary uh spot uh out there and uh in Schomburg. But uh, you know, he needs some seasoning. He needs to see some uh some uh, some minor league pitching. He needs to, you know, matriculate through the minor league system quickly. He mm-hmm. can do it. Um I mean you talk to Lucas Giolito who works out with him in the off season and he said the guy can flat out hit and that uh it won't be long for him to be there. So, from from all of that, you know, you do have to leave a spot open for him because you have two more years of commitment to your reigning American League Most Valuable Player, Jose Abreu, at first base.
1: Yeah, who just celebrated a birthday uh, just just the other day, did Jose Abreu, uh, and uh, and happy birthday to him. It is inside the clubhouse on six seventy. The score, uh, listeners getting in at three one two six forty four. Sixty-seven, sixty-seven. is the score listener line powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. Texture says, Bruce, that at age 15, he made a diving catch of a line drive at shortstop. The umpire turned to him and said, that's one of the best plays I've ever seen. And at that texture's opinion at that moment, next stop, Wrigley Field. He was locked and loaded and, uh, and ready to go
3: and that young man was
1: Javier Baez and that that young man uh god we've had a, we've had a chance to talk to a lot of a lot of good people these past few months working with you on this show uh, Bruce Lamont, really the past what year and change um, but uh it, it, last week when we spoke to Louis El Hawa uh, did i say it right the the yes. the scouting director um, Uh, for the international scouting director for the Cubs. I I was struck by the aforementioned Javier Baez, what kind of recruiting tool he is for other young players, and not just young Puerto Rican players, but young players of of any descent who just love the style, the swag, uh, and the, the skills of Javier Baez. And he mentioned that Christian Hernandez the the Cubs international signee who El Hawa said was the most talented of anybody they have signed in in his run with the Cubs. And that includes Glaber Torres and Eloy Jimenez. He said that Christian Hernandez, huge fan of Javi Baez. And that was a big part of the conversational recruiting that led to Christian Hernandez ending up uh, coming to the Cubs. And it struck me that maybe I don't consider that enough as we've had conversations over the past couple of years about, who to keep, who to trade from a core? That sometimes an international player with that kind of flair and that kind of draw can reap benefits that you don't see necessarily on the roster right away, but could reap benefits that help the organization stay healthy and nimble in years to come.
3: Yeah, that's a good call. I mean, look, when you got you have got shortstops out there like Lindor and Baez, they're they're so exciting and and they're you know all around players. Baez certainly had a a bummer of a 60-game season last year, but uh, you know you see Lindor traded from the uh, Indians to New York, and uh, the impact he's going to have, uh, you know, again as a free agent if he doesn't stay with the Mets, and and Baez as well. Uh, hopefully, will be a Chicago Cub for many years to come. But again, his contracts up. Uh, you you do see, you know, these players that uh, not only are great in the field and on defense, but they. Uh, They just exude energy and joy of playing the game, and that's obviously one thing that Baez talked about at length last year, missing of the ability to have fans to perform for in the stands, the ability to have video uh, near them to be able to go and look at his at bats. Some of the reasons why he felt he wasn't the same player. So, uh, from from all of that, uh, you know, we have this is another era of the very great shortstops, and you're going to have four or five of them out there as free agents after 2021.
1: Yes, you are. Baez, one. Uh, Lindor, another. Carlos Correa. Corey Seager. And Trevor Story. Um, uh, it, we're, we're expecting a conversation with Adam Engel of the White Sox, if not now. Hopefully a little bit uh, later in the show. But, you know, with spring training looming, Bruce, and you mentioned some of the things that, that guys did not have, like not having video, and how different last year was. There's a school of thought from a couple of people I've talked to around the game as they, as they hope for spring training to happen that they wouldn't mind waiting a little bit if it meant that they could clear up some of the protocols, some of the access issues for the media that, that we have had. Like maybe if some of the broadcasters could get down and, and, and talk to the players and get into the clubhouse. If guys like you could actually get into the clubhouse and talk to these guys that if that might be able to happen in March as opposed to February, that it might be worth waiting for the quality of the game, quality of the coverage, quality of the experience for all involved, including the fans. You think that feeling exists around the game uh, between the Players Association and MLB?
3: Not much. Hmm. You know, I think I think your your assessment is correct. I believe that um, the reporting of uh, things for uh, baseball from conversations that take place one-on-one with reporters uh, is part of the allure of the game that baseball fans rather than football and basketball fans have better inside information as yes. to what's going on on a daily basis. 162 add 30 more onto to that uh, spring training 200 times a year. So uh, the competition is intense uh, for reporters um, it's it's usually friendly, not always, uh, but nonetheless, it's uh, it's important to be able to talk to players one on one to bring that unique information out, where you've done your homework, uh, you've asked them about it, they've responded to it, and you can get that out to the to the baseball fans who feel much closer to the sport than they do in uh, the NBA or in the NFL. That's just my opinion of it mm. because we have access 200 times a year compared to. Those other two sports where one sixteen 16 games a year, uh, you know, hockey and basketball, you know, 82 games a year. From that perspective, uh, you know, we're we have access that goes above and beyond those other two sports reporters.
1: Mm. You know, I I I realized that. Yeah, I'm sure you're right that that's more in the media's uh, interest than it is in the in the players and, and the owners. Um, that said, I, I did see a report yesterday that Rob Manfred and Tony Clark um, and, and a couple other representatives that they were going to meet to be talking about some stuff in terms of health and safety protocols. Did, right. did you see that report, Bruce? That, yeah, I that, did.
3: And, and the, the key is, you know, we're, we're hearing dribs and drabs about how maybe a media will be able to have some socially distanced one-on-ones with players and team personnel at some point, maybe starting in spring training. And this has mm-hmm. to be worked out uh, between the Players Association and Major League Baseball uh, to see whether or not uh, the protocol will be met and that uh, there's going to be a comfort level because right now we're being told that media will be held in spring training to uh, limited outside of the access of the the protected zone of the of spring training headquarters. So you might be on a distant field where they work out, socially distanced, to be able to look at them play, uh, you, might, you will be able to work out of a press box, but not at, in the press facility that's hmm. inside these uh, places in spring training. So uh, the, there has to be a lot of conversation about uh, protecting people and, and protocol as far as um, you know, the medical part of it.
1: Boy, so many issues to get sorted out. Uh, are, are they going to have video back in, in nearby in the dugouts this year? Or are they still going to be determined? Still um, to be determined. A lot of unintended a, so consequences. so many different
3: things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, we, as Matt said, we're expecting to talk to Adam Engel sometime before we're done with the show here. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, let's, ta- let's take a couple phone calls while, before we hit the break.
1: That uh, sounds good to me. 3 2 This is Otto in Brookfield on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Good morning, Otto. Thanks for calling. What's up?
4: Shalom, brothers. Thanks for taking my phone call. <laughs> the Chicago Cubs are a quasi-public institution that's a relationship between ownership and its fans. The ownership and administration of this team told us there would not be windows, that they were going to create a whole meal, not just cookies. How, as we, we as fans, how are we supposed to accept this? the actions of the team that have uh, traded away Darvish for a sack of magic beans, not paying part of his salary, and uh, allowing things like Nolan Arenado to go to, uh, to St. Louis? I feel like, as a fan, ownership's lying to us.
1: Thanks thanks for the call, Otto. Um, whether Bruce, would you like to, to, to stand up for the Cubs? What are you, chicken? Take it. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you. I'm still gathering my thoughts, so yeah. I don't
3: sound as idiotic as I normally <laughs> do.
1: Well, let me sort out a couple things. Theo Epstein is the one who promised the whole meal, and he did deliver the whole meal. Um, now, it seems to be that dessert has come, and we're having cappuccino a lot earlier than expected. I, I, will, I will grant you that. In terms of the owner not wanting to, not believing in a window, this is trying to extend and, and, and have a longer period of decency, if not excellence, 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 fall off the table to suck. That, that's what they're deciding to do as an organization. And they referenced teams like the Tigers and the Phillies who were real good, real good, real good, real good, and then sucked for a while. And instead, they're trying to take a step back, take a breath like the Red Sox and the Yankees have done in the recent decade. That's their attempt right now. Doesn't look very good right now because the offseason is not uh, is not yet complete. And there's probably going to be a couple other moves that will get in there and give you a full picture of what they're trying to do. I understand the frustration from the financial perspective. But this is ownership trying to extend a window. It's just a window of decency as opposed to a window of being at the very, very top going for it with no holds barred year after year.
3: You know, well said, uh, you know, in short term, it's uh, the Cubs are trying to buy time to compete for this year and rebuild and restock their farm system, which has been deplete over the last few years and waiting for the Braylon Marquez and, uh, Davis's and people like that to be able to uh, work their way up to the major leagues and, again, add the the young players that they uh, so desperately need to make the next move and be the next level of major league players when this group is done. So uh, adding a guy like Peterson, adding a couple veteran starting pitchers that you'll see most likely done this next week after working out a group of uh, guys like Samarjan, Arietta and uh, Rodan and uh this weekend. Uh, that will be the goal, is to try to sustain some credibility here while they rebuild toward the future. And in a big market like Chicago and the expectations like Otto's mm-hmm. uh, that's been built up to this point,
1: you understand the frustration. Absolutely. Texter says decency decency sucks. We want excellence. The Cardinals never suck. I can't remember the last time they were awful. How do they do it and the Cubs can't? I'll answer that. They draft really, really well over and over and over. Look at their roster and look at guys that they drafted. I think Paul DeYoung is theirs. I think Harrison Bader is theirs. I think Colton Wong was theirs. Uh, Obviously Flaherty and, uh, and Dakota Hudson and like all these guys that they have drafted. And there's more. There's loads more. And every year they do it. So they have a steady stream, as you have seen, of guys you've never heard of come up and perform very well at very cheap prices. And right. that lets them spend on other guys. And they've made good choices on that for the most part. But that is the whole difference. And you, Bruce, you alluded to it. The Cubs didn't draft well over the past 10 years. And so, it's now bitten so them in the
3: ass. You're right. You're exactly right. Scout, sign, develop. Okay. Those are, those are the things that you have to do well in order to sustain long-term success. Yeah. And uh, the Cubs were on that role, but, they no longer have that because the minor league system has failed and they're, they're just not going to spend $210 million a year to try to chase free agents every year and be just a little bit above average. They need to sustain through their system.
1: Lots more for us to discuss on Inside the Clubhouse. He is Bruce Levine. I am Matt Spiegel. David Hall will join us next hour. And at some point, I want to talk about that Darvish return and how it compares to this, uh, this reported Arenado return, because it's interesting to look at those two side by side as well. Keep it right here on 670 The Score.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours